Greetings, Detective. Welcome to the Murder Mystery Company in our new free service, Calm Mystery. We know that many of you need that calm and centered moment, but meditation isn't necessarily your thing. If you're a mystery lover, a crime fan, and could use a break, you've come to the right place. It sure is a suspenseful world out there, but I have good news for you. In this world, the only suspense will come from the world's best writers. For the next few minutes, we're going to close the door on the outside world. First, find a comfortable chair, sofa, or bed. Take a moment to just relax into that spot. Let your body sink in, slowly releasing the day's tension. Just relax. You've earned this time. You need this time for you. Your body will thank you. Now let's take a moment to clear your mind. I want you to focus on two things. My voice and your breathing. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Let it out slowly through your mouth. Now the same thing, but let's breathe on my count. Three counts in and four counts out. Breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. As we do this, you're going to slowly relax more and be perfectly ready for tonight's dastardly tale. Now again, breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. One more time, breathing out the last bit of stress. Breathe in, one, two, three. Now out, one, two, three, four. Excellent. Tonight's tale of mystery, intrigue, and murder is truly spine-tingling. Welcome to Calm Mystery. Our selection this time, Synchro Encabulator, by Perry F. Bruns, read by the author. The laboratory reflected its residence. File cabinets lined the walls. Layers of papers covered every horizontal surface, except those covered instead in equipment. The sense of brimstone and various chemical reactions filled the immense space, a repurposed warehouse with a massive electrical generator at the other end, connected by several thick cables to a strange piece of machinery. Years of work must have gone into it all, even if she had no way of understanding it. But then again, that was why she had come. Her entire life had been work. Work to refine the writing she loved, Worked to save money to go to trade school to learn journalism. 
work to convince an editor she could do far more than just run copy from the bullpen to the press room. Something metallic clanged and slid across the floor, stopped by her deceptively dainty-looking boot. She looked down at the offending object, a crescent wrench. She looked back up at the sound of panicked footsteps and saw the lab assistant, a short, wiry lad. He shot around with frightening speed, but never in a straight line. When she had knocked this morning, he'd introduced himself as Figgins, Foster Figgins, uh, Foster Higgins, a measure to plague your acquaintance, uh, pleasure, uh, nice to meet you. Presently, he skittered toward the wrench's last clang, spotted it, changed direction one limb at a time, and skidded to a stop just a little too close to her. Their noses almost met. She surprised herself by not flinching. Sorry, excuse me, sorry, have I seen your, I mean, yes, I've seen your wrench, Foster, she said, not unkindly. She took a step back and plucked it off the floor before he could bump into her or trip over himself, and handed it to him. Oh, thank you so much, Miss Beanball, uh, Breestall, uh, Bleehall, Emily Bleehall, and relax, I'm a reporter, nothing to be afraid of. Miss Bleehall? Oh, you reported my cousin Sadie's wedding. She managed not to roll her eyes. So far, that remained the only story of hers that had run without major cuts, if only because both families were major investors in the paper. The blessed day itself had resembled the drying of wallpaper paste. It seemed to take forever, and the real details were covered up by decoration. Yes, and such a lovely day it was, she said diplomatically. After all, the weather had cooperated, the bride and groom were pretty if a bit stiff, and the caterers had outdone themselves. Sure was, Miss Bleehall, and uh, thanks for finding my wrench. He grabbed it hastily, but gratefully. But she didn't let go just yet. He managed to avoid going off balance at the unexpected resistance. What? A word of advice, Foster? She said quietly. Y yes, ma'am? She felt fleeting mixed emotions at being counted old enough for ma'am. Listen carefully. Yes? Slow down, she finished, smiling, and released the wrench. This time Foster did lose his balance, but only for a split second, before righting himself, chuckling and thanking her. Are you going to take all day finding that blasted wrench? came an older voice from nearby. Coming, Professor, called Foster, and he broke into a clamoring run before remembering her advice and slowing to a safer speed, if still blurry at the edges. Emily followed at her own pace, taking more notes to flavor her introduction later. Oh, there you are. And you must be Miss Bleehall, said the lab-coated man. He had the look of a man fully at home, surrounded by books and machinery, and chasing discovery. She nodded. Yes, Professor. Trenchly, if I am not mistaken. His stern, salt-and-pepper-bearded face suddenly beamed. Yes, indeed, Miss Bleehall, you've done your homework. And here I was, worried about the press sending a fem a uh, society reporter. They have me on features lately, she said casually, pointedly ignoring the man's slip. 
Splendid, he said. Well, I'm glad they didn't send one of their front-page men. After all, if this whole thing blows up in our faces, I'd rather have it all acknowledged in prose as a gallant effort than as a shocking headline. A strapping figure stepped from behind the colossal brass and bronze and iron towers in the center of the room, and through the thick metal framework that joined them. I have faith in our work, Arthur, said the man in a quiet, friendly baritone. After all, we've built multiple fail-safes to prevent calamity. He paused. He'd been looking in the general direction of his mentor, but was wearing smoked glass goggles. He slid them over his brow, having sensed another presence. Miss Bleehall, a pleasure to meet you. Professor Jeffrey Matthews. I hope our discovery proves newsworthy. Emily continued to write. Nice to meet you too, Professor. She realized he had been holding out his hand for a few seconds, and that she'd been staring at his piercing eyes. She shook his hand, and he returned to work. Older than her, but much closer in age than Professor Trenchley, he also had no idea of his charm. The others took her pause as a signal to resume work, attaching purposeful-looking modules to various fittings on the towers. After several more attempts to regain their attention, she finally just asked a question. Despite the various clanks and mechanical noises and the occasional grumble or argument, her voice came out louder than she expected, no doubt due to some of those years of work selling papers on the streets. So, at the risk of being blunt, what does this do exactly? she asked. Well, until we have it configured properly, it won't do anything, the older man grumbled without pausing his work. Matthews laughed. Please, Professor, she's here to help people understand our work. He regarded her kindly. This, he continued, is a potential solution to problems that have plagued the world since civilization began. Emily nodded, taking notes in rapid-fire shorthand. Can you be more specific? If successful, it will offer a new form of communication and transportation, he said, hope brightening his voice. So it's a combination telegraph and train engine? she asked, puzzled. Nothing of the sort, snapped Professor Trenchley. It's a synchro encabulator. He paused. Oh, but where are my manners? It's just, we're so close to a major breakthrough, and I suppose the excitement is getting to me. I keep forgetting nobody outside this laboratory knows what a synchro encabulator is, because this is the first. The concept is quite simple, he said more kindly. At its core, it supplies inverse reactive current to power unilateral phase detractors for... Professor? What is it, Higgins? You said to warn you when someone's eyes glaze over? The professor looked up from the complex thing he was adjusting to regard Emily, who had begun staring into space, though still taking notes. Professor Matthews cleared his throat. Let me see if I can give you something that you readers can understand. It should create a gateway between two distant points in sp that is, two different places on Earth. Emily blinked. How different? Uh, how distant? Halfway around the world, said Professor Trenchley. At least! Of course, after halfway, it's the same as less than halfway, so... <laughs> 
He trailed off, chuckling and tuning the strange spherical device he'd just installed until it began to make a whirring sound. If it works. Otherwise, it's just an assortment of expensive junk, said Matthews. It has to work, Matthews, it has to, said Trenchley. Now hand me that grammeter array, Higgins. Higgins snapped into action and then forced himself to calm down and gently pass the complicated-looking equipment to the older man. Thank you, Higgins, said the older man, stretching out the cables and arranging the grammeters around the heavy machine. Good. Now engage the power coupling to the pentametric fans. Matthews shot Emily a wry look and pulled a knife switch. The fans were to life. The body of the device hid the blades, but not the sound. The fans don't just cool everything down, said Higgins to Emily, but also channel pan-dimensional flux to stabilize the malleable logarithmic casing, and your eyes are doing the thing again. Emily grinned. It's okay. Even when you remember to slow down, never lose your enthusiasm. So saying, she started scribbling furiously, thankful she'd created a shorthand glyph to remind her to check her spelling. Status, Professor Matthews? Professor Trenchley asked. Ready, Professor Trenchley. Higgins, monitor the stator. Stator ready. Maris and score motion observed. Ready main power at 20%. Matthews raised his eyebrows. Higgins turned some dials. Power at 20%. Temperature edging up. 501 Kelvin and climbing. Well within limits, Matthews observed. He knocked on the machine's casing. Prefabulated amulite. Toughest alloy ever invented. Matthews, I understand your desire to show off for the pretty lady reporter, Trenchley grumbled. But don't bang your knuckles on the casing while I'm monitoring it with a stethoscope. Sorry. Higgins hopped several feet to his left and stared meaningfully into a green glass window as it began to light up. Datascope is showing semi-boloid motion. We're... gosh, we're ready. Trenchley's hopeful expression looked like he hadn't used it in a while. No time like the present, Professor. Matthews grinned. Agreed, Professor. Trenchley nodded. Higgins, watch that scope like our lives depend on it, and... activating. He threw a much larger switch, and the entire mechanism glowed orange then green, then a cool blue, and the big archway flared to life. Within it stood a lush forest. Emily's pencil tip snapped. She grabbed another one and kept writing frantically. Stabilizing, stabilizing. Gentlemen and lady, behold a new horizon in engineering and physics. Halfway around the world, Emily marveled. Matthews put a hand on her shoulder. Halfway across the state, he said, with the air of a man who'd won an argument. We weren't entirely sure we'd be able to reliably hold the portal across a larger distance. And there's a breeze. Higgins grabbed a jar, unscrewed the cap, and walked up to a few feet away from the archway. Air sample captured. He put the cap back on the jar. Emily looked at the older men. Matthews shrugged. It's a side experiment, Trenchley said resignedly. Mr. Higgins, if you wouldn't mind, we'd like to take some measurements. 
Oh, oh, right. Higgins popped the jar into a satchel. How long do you think the portal will hold? Emily asked. Professor Matthews shrugged again, but with different body language. No idea at all. We've never gotten this far before. It's all in the winding. We went to a smaller gauge of wire for the staters and arranged them in a Lotus O deltoid type, said the professor. With supreme effort, Emily managed to keep her mind from fogging. I'll just pretend I have any idea what that means, she said to herself as the professor kept excitedly chattering away. And with the sinusoidal depleneration reading at only 2%, I think we have more than enough latitude to expand the arc radius and create a full-form tesseract. He toggled two rows of toggle switches. Arthur? The blue glow intensified. We're ready. Trenchley turned a dial. The hum from the massive device came louder and lower. Everyone, the next reading we take, he picked up a notebook and an immense travel bag, will be from the other side of that window. So saying, he walked up and gave a jaunty wave with the hand that held the notebook. Arthur, the scenery is... Trenchley stepped over the bottom of the arch and through the portal. Changing. Matthews grabbed a bag of tools. I... I have to go after him. We're with you, said Emily before she could stop herself. We? said Higgins. There could be trouble out there, said Matthews. And if you don't come back, there'll be plenty of trouble right here. The portal may not stay open long. Then there's no time to argue. Mind the framework. Matthews stepped through, followed by Emily, and hesitantly by Higgins, who stumbled on the bottom of the portal frame but righted himself. He took a look around. After a long, stunned pause, Emily gave Matthews a look. Halfway around the world, Professor? I think this is more like a world and a half. The landscape around them certainly didn't look familiar. Emily scribbled in her ever-present notebook, trying to describe the shades of purple in the soil and the not-quite-black green leaves on the vegetation which was even thicker than the forest they'd first seen. A bellows-shaped animal, about a foot long, skittered past. Emily would try to describe it for the rest of her life, when not trying to forget it existed. You made it! Emily started at Professor Trenchley's jubilant voice. His expression worried her. We are the first human beings to step forth onto a new frontier. Isn't it glorious? Matthew's smile betrayed grave concern. Gorgeous, Professor, but we really should return while we can, as if in response the subsonic tone coming from the portal ceased and the opening faded away. Matthews sighed. While we could. Trenchley stared at Matthews and then chuckled, shaking his head. Professor Matthews! Geoffrey! I would think that after all our work together, you would have more faith in my methods. He indicated the case. A metapolar refractive pilferometer. We've talked about building one of those, Matthews said, his tone tentative. Trenchley nodded. We did. And we built it. Remember when I had you build that annular stator synchronization unit? Of, of course, said Matthews. 
and all we have to do is... They excitedly popped the latches on the bulky case, revealing a brushed brass board covered with a dizzying array of dials, switches, and gauges. Lights blinked and a rotor whirred to life. Emily felt her eyes glazing over once more, but her pencil never stopped taking notes, albeit with a growing concentration of Czech spelling glyphs. Are you getting all this? Higgins asked. I have no idea what that machine is, Emily answered. But I know what it does. There are only two reasons to get excited about it. One's to gather information. The other is to get us home. Wow, you're right twice over. It gathers information to get us home, Higgins said, barely containing his excitement. Guess being observant is a job requirement. It helps, Emily said. The hint of a smile crossed her face. It, uh, could take them a little while to get it set up, Higgins said. Time to explore. Wouldn't that be dangerous? Emily smiled. We take things slow. Stay within sight of the return device. She turned to the scientists. Professor Matthews? Be careful. We're in completely unknown territory, and we don't know anything about what's out here, he said without looking up. I'd recommend not taking or touching anything. Emily thought about it, taking in a breath of humid, fragrant air. She considered that fragrance. And the air. How did the device manage not to send them all to a void or into a volcano? A wise precaution, she said, trying to sound calm. She resolved to keep her curiosity in check as it cried out inside her heart. She started focusing on the landscape within arm's reach to satisfy that loud curiosity. The fragrance came from the odd, dark, leafy plants on the loamy ground below her feet. How much time do I have? she asked. Shouldn't be any more than five minutes, Matthews said. We've got the pilferometer up and running at full bare essence. When this light, he said, pointing at a dome about the size of his palm, starts blinking green, the portal should open right back to the lab. Emily nodded. Thank you. She pulled the camera out of her satchel. This will be a much bigger story than anyone would have suspected. If we get back. When we get back, she said. Emily focused on intently studying one particularly spectacular example of the black-green leaves, marveling at its velvet surface. She took photographs, but just in case they didn't come out, made sketches in her notebook and wrote about the vein structure on its underside, while Higgins poked experimentally at a rock, eyes widening when it glowed at his touch. And then the wind changed. The clamminess disappeared, replaced by a hot, sulfurous dryness. The dim gray sky lit up dark orange as though suddenly beginning to dawn, or reverting to dusk. She felt movement, and turned behind her to see a gigantic creature looming far above them all, whose appearance she found herself both unable and unwilling to fully describe. The closest her mind would let her get was insect-like, but with tentacles in groups of three, no, nine, all over it. Three compound eyes glowed an intimidating blue-green against its shiny blue-black carapace. Three... 
Jaws? Opened to reveal a maw of what she couldn't avoid admitting were tongues. She expected it to roar, which made its first words that much more of a shock, especially since they started in her head, not her ears, and bore straight through to her heart. Unwelcome visitors. Why have you come? It said in perfect English. So perfect, in fact, that she had to guess it would have spoken in any language they knew. Matthews stood. We are here in the name of scientific discovery, he said, his voice even. Trenchley stood next to him, and even his eyes struggled to comprehend what they beheld. Such simple creatures. Yet your minds glow with potential. All three plus one of you. Three plus one. The creature made a noise Emily hoped was a laugh. Many beings use their appendages to count, it said to her thought. I am no exception. Trenchley finally managed to speak, his voice tremulous. We mean you no harm. Again came the disquieting laugh. Your intent means little. Your presence is unintended, yet here you are. Your bodies lack the strength, and your minds the capacity to harm us. For now. I have looked inside you and found examples of your world's past. Disturbing. Need and fear drive so many of your decisions and lead to dire conclusions. It has been decided. You will make no such decisions here. You will pay a penalty and return. The creature's voice echoed through Emily's mind with an air of finality, judgment, and sorrow? Afraid to ask, Emily couldn't stop herself anyway. What penalty? Three plus one intruded. Three will return. Emily felt her heart beat in her throat and temples. The others' faces suggested they felt the same. She forced herself to observe the creature with as close to absolute neutrality as she could muster. Every pad, at the end of every striated tentacle, at the end of every junction, at the end of every segment of the chitinous body, imprinted itself on her mind. She suspected her camera wouldn't have worked, but she didn't bother to raise it anyway. She locked the gaze of her own two simple hazel eyes on every lens of the creature's three. She forced her heart back down where it belonged and asked slowly, Have you decided whom? She felt the creature's terrible mind pause within her own. That has not been decided. I should be the one, said Higgins. What? Matthews exclaimed. You're the youngest of us. You have your whole life ahead of you. But Professor, you, you and Professor Trenchley, you've gotten so much further in your work than I have in my studies. Emily shook her head. No. You're not just younger. You have more potential than any of us. Not true. She'd expected that response from Higgins, but not from the creature. 
Potential comes in many forms. It's my fault we're here, said Trenchley. I was so concerned with making sure the device would take us somewhere survivable that I didn't think about where or who we might meet. If anyone deserves to pay the cost to send the other three back, it's me. This, said the creature, is true. It should be me, said Matthews. I could have checked your methodology, Arthur, provided a sounding board and a backstop. I was so eager to forge ahead I failed to consider whether we were overreaching. This is as much my fault as yours. Who is at fault, came the reply, is immaterial. The choice is made. Emily's breath caught in her throat. The voice came all around her, but mostly from the creature and Trenchley. However, each of you showed that you would sacrifice yourselves for each other. Admirable and unexpected. Fear usually leads to self-preservation. Just when Emily thought she couldn't be surprised any further, Higgins spoke up. In the end, that seemed kind of pointless. The creature paused, an aggressive silence that Emily hoped never to feel again, before saying, True. Matthews started to say something, but then acted as though the creature had waved him off. Three of you will be returned to your old time and place, right after you left. The penalty has not changed, but its nature, this rare potential you exhibit, bears further study. Tentacles reached out to embrace and lift Trenchley having already used part of his voice, grimly confirming her suspicion of whom the creature meant to keep. The scent of the air changed, and not pleasantly. Matthew's voice quavered, and Emily could see tears welling in his eyes. Your death won't be in vain, Professor. Arthur? Trenchley chuckled, but with a chilling undertone. This time his voice dominated, but the creature's was behind it. My boy, he began. Then the ground dropped out from under them, and with a multicolored flash, the world around them flickered away, replaced by the laboratory. She and the others found themselves on the floor, looking up at the synchro encabulator. Or what remained of it. The mighty casing it held, but everything inside both columns had melted into a noxious-smelling slag leaking from its bottom vents. They helped each other up, shaken and disoriented by the sudden return. As they began to recover, they heard Professor Trenchley's voice echoing inside them, shaking them to their foundations. It's no longer my death, but something both better... And worse. You've just listened to Synchro Encabulator by Perry F. Bruns here on Calm Mystery. Calm Mystery is a murder mystery company production, part of American Immersion Theater, Scott Crampton, executive producer. Our editor is Audra Schildhaus. 
If you enjoy Calm Mystery, please take the time to rate us and leave a review wherever you get your fine podcasts. It helps spread the word, and the comments let us know what you like and how we can improve. While you're at it, tell a friend who enjoys a good story, or even an enemy if you need a distraction. And subscribe if you haven't already. That way you won't miss an episode. They'll download to your device when you least expect it. In the meantime, stay calm. Life's full of mysteries. Track down the Murder Mystery Company on social media. Follow the clues to at the Murder Mystery Company on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and any other place you might suspect. Thank you for listening to Calm Mystery, a Murder Mystery Company production. To solve your own case with us, visit MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, and use code CALM, C-A-L-M, for $20 off your own murder mystery party. We have dozens of entertaining detectives. You can even ask for me, Perry, by name. If no one else can help, and if they can find me, maybe I can help you become Detective of the Night. That's MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, Code calm.